Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in multiple locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information on our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. What's up, friends and fam in the room? So glad you're here today. For those of us joining online, thanks for tuning in. Maybe you're at the beach or like summer vacation. Big shout out to the tech team uh, for making sure everything's online so that when you do travel over the summer, uh, you can still feel like you're a part of the family and be at home. I don't know if you've had the chance to do any vacationing, traveling, go to the beach or anything this summer. Uh, I took my girls down to the beach, and if you asked me about it, uh, like I could, I could give you the blow, blow by blow. I could, I could tell you where we went. I can tell you uh, like where we stayed. I could tell you where we ate. I mean, come on, like, is there a more important thing uh, on on a ba- beach vacation than where we ate? Like, I can tell you like the food, the the restaurants, the the dishes that I ordered, and we had some really cool pizza pizza spot right there on the beach, and uh, a place called Hamburger Joe's, little hole in the wall, run down place, so good. Uh, so that was good. Seafood a couple of different times. I can tell you we went and played putt-putt, and uh, despite me being the only person in my family that actually plays golf, I was the only person in the family that did not get a hole-in-one at Rainbow Falls Mini Golf. And uh, so my girls are telling me about that every time uh, they get the chance to. So we had fun there. The, the, the light blue ball was just not the lucky ball uh, today. I should have got the hot pink ball like everybody else. Um, but fun time playing putt-putt. I can tell you the girls had a blast at the beach. I went to the beach, set the umbrella up, set the chairs up, went back home. That, they, the beach is their thing. They can have all of that. I'm trying to keep sand out of all of the cracks and crevices on me. I just cannot handle it. I cannot do it. Um, they had a good time. Like, I, I can tell you all about that. Now, if, if you ask me about my trip to the beach, what I would not tell you is about the trip up there. Right? And when you go on vacation and somebody asks you about it, let's say like you jump on a flight, you, when they say, how was the vacation, you don't look at them and say, oh, it was great. We drove to the airport in Charlotte, and we went through security, and check this out, we were at gate C9. Right? And you're not going to believe the $8 bag of peanuts that I bought in the airport. Like It was amazing. And then when we got there, we rented a car and then we drove to that. I was like, I'm not going to tell you that on the way to the beach, we stopped in Rockingham to get gas and Dairy Queen, right? I'm not going to tell you that. Like, that's the journey there. That's the process that it takes to get there. But if you ask him how my vacation went, I'm going to talk to you about, like, what we did at the beach, at the destination when we arrived there. It's, it's not about the trip there or the trip home. In fact, the only time we talk about the journey is when something goes wrong, Right? If you're driving up there and you get a flat tire on the way or traffic is terrible on the way home or you miss a flight, then you're going to tell somebody about the journey. But that's just not how we think when when we talk about our life. We love the destination. We don't really much care about the journey. And that is a fundamental difference between the way that you and I think and the way that God thinks. Do you know that God loves the process? God loves the journey. God sees so much value and purpose in the journey, not just in getting from point A to point B. Like, we just want to get there, right? We, we see what God has for us. We read the promises in Scripture, and we're like, yes, give me those. And God's like, great, 
it's going to take a process. And we're like, no, 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 we don't, we don't want the process. Don't tell me about the gas that it's going to take. Don't tell me about the car. Don't tell me about the airport. Just talk to me about the destination. Yet in Scripture and in your life and in my life, God does so much in the journey. God values the path that it takes us to get from where we are today to becoming the man or the woman that God has called and created you to be. Like, God loves that. That's where he teaches you. That's where you and I grow. That's where we experience and receive what we need now in order to prepare us for what's next. That's just different in how we think and how God thinks. Like, God really does see the purpose in the process, the value in the journey. You and I, we want it quick. We want everything now. We want everything like shortest way from point A to point B, and we want it to be easy. And yet God realizes that his plans and his provisions never come out of a microwave. Like God's plan for your life, God's purpose, you realizing that is not going to come when you pop it in the microwave and hit 30 seconds and all of a sudden it's ready. There is a process that we go through. There's a journey that God has for us. In this thing that he has called you and created you for, your life, it's a journey. I think that's one of the reasons why people say that your relationship with God is a walk with God. It's a journey. It's a process that we go through. Today, I want to talk to you from uh, the book of Exodus, chapter 13 and 14. This is one of the most uh, famous stories in all of the history of Israel. This is the biggest predicament that they ever found themselves in and lived to actually tell about it. This is a, a story that is retold out of the history of ancient Israel that's probably more popular and maybe one of the most famous miracles that God ever did out of the entire Bible. Exodus chapter 13 and 14 is the story of when God parted the Red Sea for the Israelites as they were leaving Egypt. Let me catch you up from, from last week. Love this story. Uh, Moses uh, came up to Pharaoh and told Pharaoh, God has said to let my people go, to, to let them out of slavery and bondage. And Pharaoh said no. In fact, nine different times Pharaoh said no to, to, the, to God's request and God's command. And, and, and Pharaoh had nine different plagues, nine different negative consequences happened when he refused to say yes to God. We talked about that last week. Well, we talked about one through nine last week, and we're actually going to talk about the tenth plague in a few weeks coming up to close out the Exodus series. But for today's purpose, here's what you need to know. After the tenth plague, Pharaoh finally broke. Pharaoh finally said, all right, for real, get out of here. I don't want you around here. Don't, don't come like you are bad luck. <laughs> like this is, if this is what it's like for you to be living with us, Israelites, you need to get out of Egypt as fast as you can. And in Exodus chapter 13, we see all these Israelites, some scholars tell us that it was close to a million exiles. They are now leaving Egypt. It's an exodus out of Egypt. That's where this book gets its name from. And so a million people, caravan style, lining up, are, are marching out of, out of Egypt, marching to their freedom. And in chapter 13, verse 17, that's where we pick up the story. Uh, here's what Scripture says. When, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God, listen to this. God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. 
Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. It's so interesting. I don't want to gloss past that, that, that God makes an observation about the path, the journey that he's going to take the Israelites on. He just flat out says, um, the promised land, let me show you a map, the promised land is northeast of where you currently are. And here's how we're going to get there. We're going to go southwest towards the Red Sea. We're going to go in the exact opposite direction. If you were looking at a map and choosing your destination, this would be the last route that you would choose. This route is longer, it's more difficult, it's more dangerous. Like, nobody thinks to get to the north side of town by going to the south part of town. But that's exactly what God says. And here's the reason. Because there was a purpose in the process. There was something that God wanted to teach these people. He said, listen to me, before you get to the promised land, before you get to this area that you are going to live that will be your own, here's the reality, you're not ready for that yet. There's some things that I need to do in your life and in your heart first. There's some things that you need to learn. There are some areas in which you need to grow. And God said, and for that reason, we're going to take a little detour. Even the language here is frustrating. It's like you start thinking about, I'm going to take you there, but it's just going to be a roundabout way. And when God laid out the plan, he just flat out admitted, he's like, guys, this is not going to be the shortcut. This is not the easy road. This is not the fastest path. This will take longer. It will be frustrating. There will be some ups and downs along the journey. But trust me, this is the journey that we're going to take. This is the road. This is the process that it's going to take. Now see, that frustrates us because we just want to get there. We just want the destination. We read the promises that God has for us in Scripture and we're just like, all right, God, get us there. Give me those things. I want to receive those things. Can I please have those things? And God's like, yes, I'm going to take you there. And the destination is northeast, but we're going to start southwest. And that frustrates us. Man, in a culture that wants to get there, like everything's in a microwave, everything needs to be quick now and right here in front of me with the least amount of inconvenience on my part. It had to have been frustrating for these people to to hear that. So God said no to the shorter route. He said no to the easy route. He said no to what made sense to everyone else on the journey. Why? Because God said, I've got something I want to teach you. You're not ready to move into the next season. You're not ready to handle what I have for you next until you learn this lesson that's right in front of you right now. So if uh, you're going to take the detour, if you're going to take the long way, then God says, I'm going to give you the map. I'm going to give you the, uh, the instructions. And in verse 21, it says, The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud. And he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. So God says, this is not going to make sense, the route that we're going on. It's the long route. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you like a GPS, okay? So there's going to be a cloud during the day, a big cloud in front of you. Wherever the cloud goes, just walk towards the cloud. And at night, you can't see clouds at night, and so I'm going to turn that cloud into a big fireball. And it's going to be in front of you, and you're going to follow the fire at night so that you can travel both ways. Wouldn't you love for God to show us things like that today? Like, you got a big decision, like, you're, you're, maybe you're dating someone, you got two guys, like, God, which guy is it? And God made a huge fireball appear over one of them, and he's like, this is the one, right? You're trying to buy a house. God, show me where you want me to live. Give me the good deal. Show me what the next step is. And God's like, all right, so tomorrow afternoon, 12 o'clock, 
go by there, drive down this road, whatever house has the huge cloud hovering over it, that's the one. Need to know which job to take? Drive by there tonight, wherever the place of employment is, and if there's a huge fireball burning over the building, that's the one, right? How convenient would that be? That's what God does here in this passage to show Israel where you should go. Just, just follow me. This thing was constantly in front of them to show them where to go. In chapter 14, it says, Then, in verse 1, Then the Lord gave them these instructions to Moses. This is the absolute... Moses is driving this train, right? He's the one that's, that's showing him in the right direction. God says the worst thing that you could possibly hear on a road trip. Order the Israelites to turn back. <laughs> turn around and camp by Pi-Hihira. <laughs> you try that. Between Migdal and the sea, camp there along the shore across from Baal-Sephon. That is the worst thing to hear when you're on a road trip. Hey, we took a wrong turn. We got to turn around. Turn back. I don't know if you are related or have backseat drivers in your home like I do. Um, but anytime I make a wrong turn, which happens frequently, I get distracted, I get my eyes on the road, and the GPS is yelling at me, but I'm not paying attention. The backseat drivers will let me know when I'm trying to do an illegal U-turn on the interstate. They'll ask me, Dad, why are you doing a U-turn? Well, we missed a turn. We took a wrong turn back. Can you imagine a million people walking in the desert, and all of a sudden, Moses has to shout from the front, Oh, hey, my bad, guys. We're going to go back. <laughs> Turn around. <laughs> we didn't go there. I mean, you just feel the frustration building in this journey. Moses, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet, Moses? Are we, are we on the right road, Moses? Do you know where you're going, Moses? Are we there yet? That's this constant, these people chirping, these backseat drivers. You can imagine how frustrated Moses would have been. And, and if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. This is actually one of the first things that we see in, in chapter 14. Um, I want to share with you four quick principles that you can apply in your life to see the spiritual results, to understand the purpose of the journey that God has you on right now. Four keys to seeing spiritual results, because God produced some serious results in this story, and there's some things that I think we can learn from together. If you're taking notes, jot this down. The first thing is this, um, to get the results, to see this purpose and the plan that God has unfolding in your life. You got to do this. You got to learn how to trust the process. God has a process to get you from where you are right now to where he's called you to be. There's a plan in place. There are steps. There are things that you and I have to learn. There are ways in which you and I have to grow. And if we are going to get to the destination, we got to learn how to trust the process. God led them straight to a dead end, right? I mean, Scripture says he led them to the Red Sea. You're supposed to be walking forward, like we got a long journey ahead, and all of a sudden, God says, turn around, Moses, and walk right towards the shore of the Red Sea, a.k.a. a dead end. It's a cul-de-sac, God. <laughs> like, there's, there, there's nothing here. You can't go forward. The only options are to turn around, and we already turned around one time. Like, God, what are you going to do? You ever been there before where you felt like just in life you were at a cul-de-sac? You're trucking along, you're going, you're doing everything you know to do, you're, you're trying to be faithful and obedient, you, you think you're listening to God and doing what he says, just like the Israelites were, and then all of a sudden, maybe spiritually, you even reach the end of a cul-de-sac. 
There's no other way, God. I've been praying, I've been asking, I've been seeking, I've been knocking, like doing everything that Scripture calls me to do. But God, there's my, my feet are on the shore. There's nothing in front of me but water. This is where the Israelites were, and yet they were exactly where God had called them to do. God was the one that said, turn around and I'm going to take you to the edge of the Red Sea. See, Moses and the people look up and say, God, we want to reach the destination. We want to go to the promised land. Whatever you have for us, God, we want it. And God says, great, because I'm going to take you on a roundabout way. And there'll be ups and downs in life. And there will be moments where you will feel like you are at a cul-de-sac. You are at a complete spiritual dead end in your life. And you're looking up at God like, what? What's the deal? Why am I here? What are you doing in this? And this is our opportunity for us to learn what God does along the journey. To be able to lean in and be able to ask God, all right, God, where do I need to grow? What do I need to do? What are you trying to teach me? Man, that's the greatest question I think you can ask when your life reaches a point where you're at a cul-de-sac, you're at a dead end. You're like, all right, God, what's the deal? What are you trying to teach me? What do I need to know? God, I know you've got a plan. I know you've got a purpose. I know there's a destination in mind, and I'm, I'm going down the route that you said, but here I'm, I'm stuck. So God, what, help me to understand what you're trying to teach me, what you're trying to do in my life so that I can move past this current season that I'm in. This is where the Israelites found themselves. Now, let me throw in a plot twist. You ready for this? All of a sudden, Scripture says Pharaoh changed his mind. He released all of these people, gave them their freedom. Like, they're running out the door. They're like, yeah, this is awesome. Free, we're going to the promised land. Like, two days later, Pharaoh looks around. He's like, who's going to do all this work? Who's going to plant all the fields? And who's going to help us recover after all these plagues? Like, we're not going to do it. We got to go get those Egyptians back. Like, we got to go get our workforce. Like, we cannot let those people just bounce like that. And in verse 9 of 14, we, we see the response. The Egyptians chased after them with all of the forces in Pharaoh's army, all of his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near Pihirath across from Baal Zephon. Hey, heads up, they got caught right where God told them to go. It's like God set them up, man. It's like we got ambushed. Like, why is it the enemy is coming to us right when we're being obedient to what God's called us to? As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, we told you, Moses, just leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. You know what the people did? It's the same thing that you and I do sometimes when our life reaches a dead end and we can't figure out what's going on. We find somebody to blame. Can't be our fault, right? Can't be something that God wants to do in our life. It can't be something that he's trying to teach us, right? So the first thing they do is they look at God. God, what are you doing? Second thing they do, they turn to Moses. Moses, what are you doing? Like, we followed you here. Why did you lead us to the dead end? In a moment like that, we got to fight this, this tendency that we have in our lives that when things get hard, we turn around and look who we can blame instead of looking towards God and saying, what do you want to teach me? 
How do I need to respond? What do I need to do? How do I need to change? How does my heart need to be softened? God, what do you want to do in my life to help me through this season that I'm going through right now? You can imagine Moses, pretty frustrated at that, rescued them from slavery, and this is the thanks he gets. Here's how he's responded. But, but God, or Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. I love what Moses does in a moment where everyone else is panicking, where everyone else has the, the enemy at their back and the Red Sea at the tips of their feet and they're looking out and there's no options. Moses points people back to God. He says, hey guys, I know you're worried. I know there's uncertainty. I know you're frustrated. I know there's fear. I know you're angry. Let me challenge you. Look to God. Trust in God. Put your faith in God. Understand, like, that's where you need to focus. That's who you need to lean into. Maybe the reason why the enemy's at our back door and it's a dead end at our front door is because God is trying to get you to pay attention to him. He's trying to get you to zone in, to really focus in on something that he is doing. I love that in a time of trouble, God, uh, or Moses, points people towards God. It says, look to God, focus on God. Where do you tend to turn in moments of trouble? Where do you tend to go? Where does your mind go? Where do your actions, your heart, your thoughts go? Verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so that the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Second thing I want you to jot down is this. You want to see these types of results that, that God is doing. You want to see that spiritual result in your life. You want to know the key to that. Uh, to get the results, number two, you've got to be willing to take a step. Do you see what God told him to do? Now think about it. Think about what God said and where they're at. God looked down at Moses and said, tell the people to move forward. Tell the people to take a step. Now, if I were Moses, I'd have looked at God and be like, God, taking a step would be in the water. Like, we can't go anywhere. We're at a dead end. Like, are you telling me to walk towards the water? And God said, take a step. Tell the people to move forward. And then he tells Moses this. He says, I want you to pick up your staff. Pick up that, that rod that I gave you. And I want you to stretch out your hands. And I want you to part the seas. And scripture says it wasn't until the people moved forward and Moses picked up the staff and made the parting motion that God performed the miracle. See, maybe some of you are thinking that you're waiting on God to move when God is actually waiting on you to take a step. God looked at the people and said, why are you just standing there crying on the seashore? Take a step. Move forward. Be obedient. Show some faith. Put your faith into action. Take a risk. Do what I told you to do. Many times when we're at a dead end, we will spend all of our time asking God to move when in reality God is calling us to take a step first. 
It wasn't until Moses did exactly what God told him to do. Moses took that first step of initiative. A million people started to crowd the shore of the Red Sea. And after that step, God performed a miracle and parted the water. Maybe God looks at the people and says, whenever you're ready to be faithful, whenever you're ready to be obedient, whenever you're ready to do what I've already asked you to do, whenever you're ready to take a risk, whenever you're ready to take a step, then I'll move. Then I'll show you what I can do. Then you'll see the miracle unfold. Then you'll see the progress that you desire to see. Hey, don't, don't get caught in a season of waiting on God without realizing that God may actually be waiting on you to do what he's already told you to do. Hey, Moses, tell the people to move forward. Pick up your staff and hold it out and part the waters with it and watch what I do. And God performed a miracle that would go down as one of the most retold stories when the sea parted. The scriptures say that as the scripture, uh, as the waters parted, they moved through the waters. They walked through it on dry ground. Um, Verse 19, then the angel of God who had been leading the people of Israel moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptian and the Israelite camps. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and the Israelites did not approach each other all night long. Another interesting thing, the third point I want you to write down is this. If you want to get the results, you and I have to focus on the right things. You want to see these results unfold in your life. You want to see the spiritual progress. You want to know what this journey is all about. You have to put your focus on the right thing. Check this out. The cloud that was in front of the people, Scripture says all of a sudden moved to the back of the people. And at night, all of a sudden, this this big area of fog that separated the Israelites from the Egyptians turned into a wall of fire. Now, why did that happen? I believe because it was God's way of saying, I need to help you focus on the right things. Because as long as God's people could see the enemy in their rearview mirror, it kept them from focusing on the progress that God had called them to make. It's the same thing with us. If you are living your life thinking about the risks, looking in the rearview mirror about everything that could go wrong and everyone that's against you and everything that could possibly fall apart, instead of looking forward to what God called you to do, you'll never take another step. You'll overanalyze it. You'll be paralyzed with fear. Like You'll never move forward. So God said, I'm going to help you. I'm going to create a barrier between you and your enemies. You can't even see them, and they won't be able to see you. The only thing you need to focus on is me. The only thing you need to focus on is forward. That's the only thing. What are you focusing on today? Is your mind and your heart and your, 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 your processes and just... Man, like, when you stay up at night and what you're thinking about and the questions that you're asking yourself, man, are you, are you thinking about the enemy? Are you thinking about distractions? Are you thinking about everything that could go wrong? Are you thinking about what God's called you to do? Are you thinking about faithfulness and obedience? Are your eyes on God or is it on something else? This wall of fire at night and bank of fog during the day forced the Israelites to look at nothing but God. Because God said, man, if you're going to go where I've called you to be, it's going to take some focus. 
It's going to take you looking at the right things. Do you have tunnel vision on the destination? Or are you right now looking around at the journey and the process and saying, all right, God, what do you want to teach me today, right here, in this marriage, in this family, in this church, in this job, in my neighborhood, with my finances, everything about me, God, what are you trying to teach me right now? I'm not worried about what's going to happen in five years, God. What's the journey about? What do you want me to grow in? How do you want me to get better? How do you want me to get closer to you today? That was what God was teaching them. And so it wasn't until that moment they cast their eyes forward. The distractions were eliminated. They put their eyes on God. In verse 21, Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground, with walls of water on each side. Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers chased them into the middle of the sea. Did you catch that detail? It was two words. He said it twice. He said that when the Egyptians walked through the Red Sea, the, dry, the ground was dry. And he repeated it. He said, yeah, and when they walked through, it was dry ground. I love that. I love that little detail. You got a million people that need to walk through there, and God's like, my plan is so good. I am so confident in it. I'm going to make sure that when you walk through, your shoes don't get muddy. I'm going to make it a little easier on you. A million people walking through a seabed, man, that'll be a swamp by when you're halfway through it. So I'm going to take care of every detail if you're going to love and follow and be faithful and be obedient to me. And they walked over, Scripture says, on dry ground. Verse 26, when all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all of the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. Of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one of them survived. Isn't it interesting what God can do when we get out of his way and just listen to him, when we trust the process, when we take a step, when he calls us to do it, and when we focus on the right thing. The story concludes like this, verse 30, This is how the Lord rescued Israel. From the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Last thing to jot down is this to get the results, you have to put your faith in God. Not your faith in you, not your faith in anything else. Put your faith in in God. See, here's where we see it. Finally, at the end of chapter 14, we realized why they went on the detour. He said, you want to know why I took you down to the Red Sea and you had a spiritual cul-de-sac there? It's because I needed to teach you something. I needed to increase the awe in your heart towards me. I needed to help you to understand that you need to put your faith in me. You didn't have enough faith at the beginning of chapter 13. You needed to grow that. You needed to see me do something. You needed to see those waters part. You needed to see God make a way to increase your faith because what you're going to face in the future, you're going to need that faith that you learned today. God loves the journey. 
He works in the process. Now, I don't know if you read stories like this in the Old Testament, and I have a tendency to look at that and say, like, I believe that story 100%. That's a, an actual historical event. But here's where my mind goes. God doesn't do stuff like that anymore. I mean, yeah, parting of the Red Sea, he did that for sure, for sure in Exodus 13 and 14. But this is uh, America 2021. God doesn't do things like that here. We don't see those types of miracles. We don't see God opening a door. We will never see the results in our lives that we saw in Scripture. And so I wanted to close by telling you a little something about Revo that maybe you guys didn't know. And I want to share this story um, to help you understand that the God of the Old Testament that made a way for the people to exit out of Egypt and give them their freedom is the same God that we worship, the same God that is making a way today. Three years after we planted uh, Revo Church, we were a mobile church. We rented a facility on Sunday morning, and every Sunday morning we loaded up a 28-foot U-Haul with everything that we owned. Kids' ministry stuff, auditorium, speakers, lights, mics, everything. We got to uh, this rental facility for the first three years, and we would unload it. We would set it all up, uh, and then at the end of the service, we would pack everything back up and put it back in the U-Haul, and drive the U-Haul back to the storage facility. And we did that for three years. And uh, three years into it, um, there was a piece of property in downtown Winston-Salem that uh, went into foreclosure. It was a great piece that we thought would be perfect for our church. And, and we knew that, that we wanted to get it. And that the only way that we could get it is if we stole it, right? It was, it like, it was, because it was a foreclosure, uh, we were going to be able to try to get it for like a quarter of the tax value of it. So we met with our team and we got all together and got all the bank stuff together and, and said, hey, this is all we can afford because we didn't want to go into debt over it. Like, we, Revo doesn't have any debt. And so we're like, we don't, want, we don't want to do the debt thing. And so we're just going to pay for it with what we can. And we had this idea in our mind of, of what we could do. It was $300,000. So we show up to this auction. And the auctioneer gets up and he says, the bidding is going to start at $1 million. And I was like, all right, boys. <laughs> Nobody bid. He said, 900,000, nobody, 800, 700, 500,000. It got down to 300,000. And I'm looking around at the crew that's with me. I was like, 300,000. <laughs> Number one is voting right now. He's like, 300,000, going once, going twice. And like, I'm grabbing the guy's shirt. I'm like, this is getting ready to happen right here. And he's like, sold, 300000 to the, the guy, the chubby guy with the green shirt on. I was like, yes. Called all of our team. I was like, sell the U-Haul. <laughs> if it's too old to sell, let's burn it. Put it on YouTube and let it go viral. We got a building. About an hour later, I got a call from the bank. And uh, they said, hey, we regret to inform you um, that your bid, the winning bid, did not meet the minimum bank requirement. The minimum offer that would have been accepted is $350,000. And so the bank has chosen to just keep the piece of property and figure out what to do with it later. So I called the team back. I was like, you had not burned the U-Haul yet, have you? Because <laughs> we're going to need it. And that was a moment that seemed like a spiritual dead end for our team. I was like, come on, guy. Come on, man. We're grinding here. We're working hard. We need a home. 
We've been loading in and out, and we break stuff every week, and we're spending money replacing this stuff. And, like, do you know the grind that that takes on volunteers to load in and load out every day? You, come on, God, where are you at? And it was, a, it was a cul-de-sac for us, man. It was a spiritual dead end that we found ourselves in. Three months later, I get a call from a church on the north side of town, First Baptist Rural Hall. They said, hey, we heard you didn't have a place to stay, that you were renting a place. I like, yeah. He said, well, look, man, we just in a situation right now where we're having to make some hard choices. He's either pay the bills or pay our pastor, and we couldn't afford to pay him, so we let him go. I think we're going to have to close our doors. Would you guys be interested in coming up here, maybe starting something? So we met with him. I took this uh, group of Southern Baptist deacons to Foothills Brewery. That was a delight. <laughs> And we ate, we ate lunch in there, and I just told them, they, they started talking about, well, we can rent it to you, or, um, you know, you can buy it from us, and, uh, you know, I just looked at our team, and I looked at them, I said, well, hey, man, here, here's, here's the deal, if you want to give us this facility, we'll take it, and we'll come in, and we'll put a bunch of families in there, and we'll do everything we can to reach people that are far from God, and he looked at me like I had two heads, and we walked out of Foothills Brewery, and I said, boys, we might not hear from these guys ever again. Three months later, he called me back. He said, hey, I want to talk. What would it look like for us to give you the facility? Completely debt-free, we'll give you the facility. And within nine months, they handed us the keys to that facility and that property, completely debt-free. And they are like, oh, hey, did I tell you that, that there was like 40 grand in the bank? We're going to give you that too. I was like, okay, yeah, huh? I'll take it year later, get a call from the leadership team here at South Fort Baptist Church. And they just said, hey, we've gotten to a point where, man, it's just a, a small group of people that are doing everything, and um, here's the reality. We, we saw what God did in Rural Hall. Do you think that God can do that here? I said, I do. I think he can. And within three months, this leadership team journeyed along with us and handed the keys to this facility, and they said, oh, and hey, by the way, I just want to let you know there's we got $150,000 in the bank and about a half a million dollars of property that we can liquidate. I was like, okay. Yeah, yep, I'm for, I'm for that. Praise God. <laughs> Middle of COVID, we get a call from Walkertown Baptist Church, said, hey, we saw what God did in Real Hall. We saw what God did at South Fort. You think he can do that here? I said, yeah, I think he can. A few months later, they hand us the keys to a debt-free facility, and they say, oh, hey, by the way, I didn't tell you this. We got a savings account and some CDs and everything. It's like uh, almost $100,000 if you want that. I was like, of course you do. Of course. Of course there is. Of course there's that money. Every step of the way, God spoke to me and said, now do you see why you were in that cul-de-sac? Now do you see why there was a dead end? Now do you see why you called out and you thought it would be a good idea and I shut the door? Because there's a purpose in the process. There was something I was doing in you, Nathan. There was something that I was building amongst this church. It wasn't just going to be one campus in the middle of town and you just beg people to come to you. Like, I got a bigger plan for it. We want to plant campuses all over the area, a, a network of neighborhood churches to reach the city. And see, Nathan, you didn't know that. There was something you needed to learn in the process. I was like, all right, God. And that was the day that I learned that if you will trust the process and you will take a step when God says it, if you will focus on the right things and you will put your faith in God, then God will open up doors today for you that you never dreamed possible. 
And God will do things in your life and in your marriage and in your family and in your finances and with your job that you didn't even dream about. But if you're so focused on just getting in the destination, you'll miss what God wants to do along the way. And I'm telling you, the God of the Old Testament that parted the Red Sea is the God that can do a miracle in your life today. You're sitting in a miracle right now. He's doing it today, and he can do it again for you. Let me pray for you. God, I'm so glad that you were not a one-hit wonder that you are not a God that used all of his power 2,000 years ago and now you are sitting here and you're broken, you're helpless and you're powerless and there's nothing that you can do. God, I, I'm seeing it firsthand. We're standing and sitting and we're broadcasting live from it right now. A gracious reminder that the same God in Exodus 13 and 14 that took joy in the journey and the process of teaching his people is the same God that is in control of the process and the journey now. And that if we would just focus on you, if we would take our next step in obedience to you, if we would learn to trust you in the process and put our faith in you, then you will show us things that we've never seen and could never imagine. God, give us the wisdom to know what to do with the words that we have just heard. I pray and ask those things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Revo Podcast. We believe everyone has a next step to take in their relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information on what that means for you, or if you have any questions about today's message, please email us at info at discoverrevo.com.